We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you think. Welcome to the Making Queer History Podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Will. And today we're going to be talking about the ladies of Flang... Mm. Okay, let's try that again. The ladies of Flangothlin. Yes, Flangothlin. We are going to do our best to pronounce that correctly each time. We can't promise anything. We, we spent fif- Laura spent 15 minutes doing research on how to properly pronounce it. So I'm really doing my best. Trying really hard. But yeah, but is... please email us in if you're doing it wrong. We would love to hear it and hopefully improve how we do it. That is at queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com. Here you can also send us uh, any other corrections or questions or fun facts or suggestions. Or feedback or just anything you want to send in. We, we're right there. But yes, this is the most exciting uh, article that I know of, at least. <laughs> you say that for every article we do, though. Pretty much. But this one is like the softest spot in my heart. What about Sir Ewan Forbes? I love Sir Ewan Forbes too, but this is like a fairy tale. Sir Ewan Forbes is a good story, but this one is like a fairy tale. That's really true. When I first heard it, I actually heard it on this um, little podcast. This is just like a side note. I heard about it on this little podcast that just told different love stories from throughout history. And it was just this really soft, sweet podcast that I absolutely adored. It doesn't go anymore, I don't think, so it's just sad. But either way... Loved them and loved, loved their version of this story. Maybe I'll like link it into the description below and you can check out their uh, version of the story so you can see how ours compares with theirs. But I'm really excited to talk about this one as well, just because I, I wrote it in a time where I, I think I needed to write it and I think a couple people needed to read it. Because at that time, it was pretty soon after Trump was elected from my memory. And things were a little difficult, and it was really helpful to write about a fairy tale. And it's a good soft story that can just exist as a happy place. Exactly. And this is actually the article that I generally show my family if I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I do. I don't do that too often, but like when I can, I'll, I'll show them. I'll be like, oh, this is what I do, and they'll read this one. And I'm like, yeah, this is an example of the work that I do. And it's one that I'm really, really proud of and really proud on how it turned out. And I'm really excited to talk about it on a podcast. But before we do that, we should talk about some fun time news. All right. So some cool things that are in the works right now are, well, actually, what was just happened, um, this will not be new for any of our non-patrons, but for our patrons, because they get this episode an entire month early and you guys get it an entire month late if you're not a patron. Um, but what is new for our patrons is we just put out a really cool article that Dean has been working on for a really long time. It's really exciting. It's amazing. Talk to all these different people who are making queer history right now. And a lot of like, honestly, my heroes within the queer community, Dean got to talk to them. Um, people like Kyle from Queer Flex. Uh, queer Flex is an Edmonton-based project that looks at sort of making working out and athletic activity much more accessible to queer people and queer bodies and just all bodies in general. And yeah, they're they're pretty amazing. Um, there's also just a whole bunch of other ones that are really, really cool and you should definitely check it out. I believe they talked to Sophie LaBelle yeah. from Assigned Mainly Birthed. 
I think it's just assigned mail. Assigned mail, my bad. Yeah. And yeah, that's a really good one as well. I really enjoy that um, project as well. So you should definitely check out that article. It's really, really well done. And Dean did a lot of work. And I just think it's really amazing. In connection with that, we are going to be sort of rebooting a little bit our project of the month. Because as you mostly have noticed, we, we did fall let that fall on the wayside for a little bit because we were working on sort of steadying the boat and making sure everything was okay after a couple things happened here. But we're getting back to it. And Dean's going to be completely in charge. Which is so exciting. That's going to be all on Dean. And we believe Dean's going to do the best job of it. Exactly. Dean is amazing. I think we say this like every episode because that's who we are as people. But Dean is an incredible, incredible person. And we're so excited to have him on board. We love you, Dean. Yes. And I just realized that Dean actually listens to these podcast episodes recently because, you know, I just assumed that they wouldn't. Not because like they're not a hard worker, but just because I'm like, oh, it's not a part of their job. So why... Why would they listen to it? But But apparently they like this workplace, so they want to listen to it in their free time. Um, so they listen to the podcast and we want them to know that we love them. A lot. Yeah. Amazing. Super cool. Dean's doing great. Just doing great work in general. And I think the rest of the things are probably just like, we're killing it on social media lately. Me and Will have definitely been queuing up a whole bunch of different posts. So you'll be seeing that in the next couple of weeks and couple of days and couple of months. Um, I'm actually really, really excited about it. If you look at it, this is um, all on Dean, but I'm going to try and continue it because it's really cool. But our Instagram feed right now is in fact a rainbow. It's super cool. I didn't realize until Laura showed me, but it's so cool and subtle. Mm-hmm. So another shout out to Dean again for doing that. Exactly. And it looks beautiful. So if you want to see cool rainbow photos, you should definitely follow us on Instagram. Do you know where else you should follow us though? On Twitter and on Facebook and on Tumblr and on all of our other social medias. You can check those out on our website, www.makingcareerhistory.com. You can find all of those there. You can find not only our social medias, but you can find stuff about booking us for speaking events. You can find the art contest. You can find our shop, and you can buy cool things for yourself. I have already spent too much money at the shop. Yes, Will has spent way too much money, considering that I could have gotten it for them much cheaper. Yes, but I just... Bought stickers. Yeah. Do you know what? Fair enough, though. Fair enough. Do you enough. want to have something in common with uh, Magnus Herschel's Gravestone. Buy a sticker from the store. Because we have one of the quotes from, well, the quote from Magnus Herschel's Gravestone on one of our stickers because it's a really great quote. Um, he had it in Latin on one of his, well, not one of his gravestones. He didn't have multiple. But on his gravestone in France, he has the quote in Latin. I'm not going to say in Latin, but I'm going to say in English. Through science to justice, which was really a motto throughout his life that he kept repeating and talking about. And you can actually see it spread out through multiple quotes he gave. Like you'll see a little clip, like sort of either rephrasing that or repeating that. So we have a little cute sticker on our website or on our store. So if you're interested in that, definitely check it out. And if you are a patron, you can get it for being a patron. Yeah. (laughs) I was gonna say for free. It's not for free because if you're a patron, it, you, you pay us to do the job we do, which is really exciting and amazing. But all the patrons do get all of these amazing rewards like tote bags, stickers, notebooks. We also let patrons see all of the directions we're going in, all of these polls, um, some facts from behind the scenes. If you're a patron right now, you will have seen where we've been on Lens a lot recently, which is sort of patrons version of 
Instagram stories. So it's sort of like that. And we've been on that a lot recently, been showing you pictures of our cats while also talking about what we're doing professionally, not just pictures of cats, we promise. Though if you want that, we're willing. We love our cats and we love sharing them with people. Exactly. They are very sweet. But yeah, just so you know, if you want to become a patron, you can do that at patreon.com slash queer history. And you can become a patron from about $1 per article to I think $25 per article. If you become a larger patron, like a Violet patron, we get to shout you out on the podcast, which we love doing. We have some amazing Violet patrons right now and we'd love to shout out some more people. Um, if you're not able to become a patron, we also have one-time donation page. You can check that out on our website. I think that's all. Oh, also, just so you know, because I don't think many people know this, but you can actually put a limit on how much you become a patron for. Like, obviously, you can choose the amount, but for us, all of our patrons pay per article and per podcast episode. So we only ever publish four paid pieces a month. So you'll never be charged more than four or less than four. But if you're like, oh, four is a little much for me, you can 100% be like, okay, I can pay for two articles a month or maybe even just two articles this month. It can, it's on a fluctuating sort of basis. So you should really check it out. Even if you're like, mm, I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to, just check and see if you're able to because we really appreciate all the patrons who exist. And if you were one, you'd be listening to this an entire month earlier than the rest of the people. For the rest of the people, it's gonna be out on the 13th now. All of our podcast episodes out on the 13th of each month. I'm actually going to keep to a schedule. I'm going to try my best. I'm excited. It's going to be good. Mm-hmm. So do you want to slide on in to the Lady Slang Salt? Try again. You can do it. Lady Slang Slanglothlin. 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 All right. I am very excited to dive into this one because, again, it's, a, it's an interesting story. All right. Well, weave us a tale. So picture this. Two young ladies in love Two families. They weren't fighting. Their families got along perfectly well. <laughs> Two families that wanted to send them to different parts of the world. No, not really different parts <laughs> of the world. They more well, wanted, one wanted to send their daughter to a convent, her older brother, and the other one was an orphan girl who was left with her uncle and aunt, and once her aunt died, her uncle started considering her to be his next wife. But despite everything, they found each other. And in each other's arms, they found happiness. Okay, okay, we're rolling this back. Okay. <laughs> but either way, it was very romantic and sweet. And they found each other. Their names were... Eleanor Butler and Sarah Ponsonby. So Eleanor Butler was from a family that lived in Kilkenny. She was born in 1739. And Sarah Ponsonby was born 15 years later in 1755. As Laura said, she was orphaned in 1768 and lived with her aunt and her um, her husband. Her aunt's husband, not her husband. Yes, you're absolutely right. Thank you, babe. No worries. And Eleanor was living with her family. She was viewed upon as an overeducated bookworm. She spoke French. She was educated at a convent in France. And her mom tried really hard to send her to a convent as soon as she grew older because she refused to marry. Exactly. And it didn't really work out that way. No. Though her older brother was planning to send her a convent, her and Sarah decided to run away together. And they um, dressed up in traditionally masculine clothes and ran away to a ferry, which upon arriving at the ferry, they realized that the ferry wasn't heading out at night that night. It was actually heading out in the morning. So they had to go sleep in a barn together 
And unfortunately, when day came, their families found them and brought them back to their respective homes. And unfortunately, Sarah got sick from this adventure. Exactly. And was kept in bed for weeks on end. Uh, Eleanor was under house arrest and wasn't allowed to leave the house at all. So they were both stuck in their own rooms. And they were both stuck with their families in places they didn't want to be. Exactly. Until... Eleanor made a brave escape and went all the way to Sarah's house, which was 25 kilometers, walked there or ran there. I'm not sure how much walking versus running there was. I wasn't there, but she got there and then she hid in Sarah's room for days on end, being helped out by the servant... Mary Mary Carol. Mary Carol, who helped her get food and helped take care of her. But eventually she was discovered there as well. And the uncle was like, okay, we're going to send you back to our family. Unfortunately, well, actually, in the unfortunately, her family was like, ugh, actually didn't want keeper. Yeah, Eleanor was a little uh, of a gay disaster. Mm -hmm. And her family just refused to take her back. They were like, no, we, too much hassle. Too much hassle, she keeps running away, do you know what? Just go. And the same happened with Sarah and her uncle. And he was like, okay, do you know what? Fine, just go. But you can't come back to Ireland. That was the you're, agreement. You're allowed to run away together, don't come back to Ireland. And they also got sent a small allowance for most of their lives from both sides of their family. And so they traveled to Wales along with the Mary the servant. Yep. They crossed the Irish Sea, which was heavily patrolled, and it was a potentially dangerous situation, but they arrived safely in Wales, and then they just wandered for two months. I don't know what they were up to, but But they they walked around. And they went from house to house, trying to find a perfect place for themselves, until they they found the perfect place. They did. Outside of Langothlin, they found this house called uh, Plas Nuid. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they moved in there in February 1780. Exactly. They moved in there with their servant, uh, Mary, who ended up living with them her entire life as well. Um, and while she was their servant, I don't think she was paid at that point. She, she worked, worked for, for them for free. Yeah, she, she worked for them for free. She got to live with them, she got food, and then she just worked for free. Yeah, I'm not sure the ethics of that. Yeah, it's clear that Mary was very devoted to the two ladies. Exactly, and the two ladies were very devoted to each other. And they lived together there in this huge house with five bedrooms, and it's described as this gothic fantasy with stained glass and furnished oak, mm-hmm. and eventually it caught people's interest. Yep, and they had actually a collection of gothic carvings, which people would bring to them from all over the world, because they had visitors from all over the world, and we'll, we'll explain why right now. The house was sort of became this place of pilgrimage, and yep. people would travel because of this eccentric couple of, of unmarried ladies who lived together in this haven of gothicness mm-hmm. and everyone was super fascinated so all these dukes and lords and and the queen of england came and the prince of germany mm-hmm. uh, william wordsworth and lord byron and all these poets Just arrived everyone wanted to visit them because they were the most famous versions in europe yep and there are multiple reasons for that let's number one is because sex between women wasn't viewed as sex just very plainly, sex between women wasn't viewed as sex, so sex between women wouldn't break a woman's virginity. 
Another reason is because it was assumed because there are two women living together that they could only ever have a platonic relationship, even though the correspondence between them and their diary entries show that it was a very romantic connection that they had. And the third is though they lived in the same room, there was no concrete evidence. Like they had five bedrooms in this house and they stayed in the same bed, but at the same time, there was no concrete evidence that they ever, you know, had sex. And it's very possible that these two women actually never did have sex and they were virgins and they could have been asexual lesbians, but it is seems more likely that they were lesbians who were had a sexual relationship between each other. But at the same time, we do acknowledge the possibility that they had never had sex, but they still had a romantic connection. So either way, they were queer. Yes. And they just, they love each other so much. Yeah. They would go on daily walks together every day. They mm. would go on walks. It is said that they never spent a night outside of their whole house. They would go places, but they would always come back and spend the night in their home with each other. They never spent a night or a day away from each other. And they would just do everything together. Mm-hmm. That includes dressing up in the same way. Mm-hmm. And they would wear men's waistcoats and women's skirts. And they were often described as dressing a lot more like men of the times. Which mm-hmm. is interesting. I think it says something about their breaking down of gender stereotypes and gender barriers. And not only that, but it actually shows how, this is a strange way to put it, but how willing people were to accept that if it was only seen as a novelty. Because all these people came from these different areas to view these people, and it was allowed because they were a novelty. They were this cool new thing. And that's happened with queer people a lot throughout the ages of it's allowed if you're a novelty, but it's not allowed if you're a societal existence. If there are queer people they don't want you here. But if there's a queer person who's sort of like, you can show off as almost like an exhibit, then it's fine. If they can view you in this very like exhibitionist way, then okay, you're allowed to exist. But if you want to like exist in a society and you want queer people to have like an entire space in a society, it becomes a completely different conversation, which is an interesting thing to look at when you're looking at these two people because they weren't able to make money. They had a self-sufficient land by growing vegetables and fruits. They built a dairy. They built a dairy. They had that to live off of. But at the same time, they did rely a lot on the money that came from their families, which was very small. And eventually, different people started sending the money, even including royalty, which sent them an allowance to keep them, you know, living and existing in this way. But as good as that is, and how cool that is to look at that, like, they were accepting of this, you have to keep in mind is that they weren't accepting of it on a broad scale. They were accepting of it in a very, very narrow scale. And yeah, I love the story of these two women though, Mm -hmm. because they just spent their their days growing old together, sitting in this old house, reading books. They were particularly fond of of artists like Dante and other Italian writers. Uh, They named plenty of their dogs Sappho. Which, do you know what? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, incredible, ideal. Mm -hmm. And they would just live their best lives Mm -hmm. doing this kind of sort of free spirit living. Yeah, and they just had these lives together. Um, In the end, Mary died before them, their servant, and she was buried on the property. And after the two women died, they were buried next to her as well. So they were all three just there together. Yeah, they just like in life, right? They wanted to always 
be together. And after they died, their house, a lot of the stuff within it was preserved because there was so much historical relevance there. And they had such a huge collection of, of Gothic architecture and carvings that a lot of it was preserved. And yeah, they just had this amazingly huge collection. And they were just these amazing people that people from around the world would visit and meet and sort of learn from or even just talk to. They were learned and they were sweet. Yeah. And they just seemed like the kindest presence. Exactly. And people loved them. Like, even though I did point out all the things behind that and all sort of the negatives, it is still nice to look at queer people who were loved throughout history. That is never something I'll ask for less of. I think that's all I have to say on it. Yeah. Um. Do you want to say when they died? I do not have the number. Okay, so Eleanor died in 1829 and Sarah followed two years later. Yeah. So, um, and again, as I said, they were buried near their servant, Mary, and that's the end of their story. They lived together, they died together, and they loved each other, all three of them, in different ways, but anyways. It's a good story. It's a it's, great story. It's, to me, the perfect picture of the happy ending of the queer story. Yeah. And obviously there's a lot of privilege that is exists in that because, you know, they did come from a more upper middle class background, but at the same time, it's fine to treasure the nice stories. And they lived the ideal life. They had a huge house. Yeah. They had dogs named Saffle. They had cows, apparently. Yeah. They had vegetables outside, a whole vegetable garden. I want like six vegetable gardens. They had a gothic house filled with carvings that people would bring them from around the world. They had poets and artists come visit them and people gave them money for being gay. Okay, drawback. Lord Byron visited them. Mm, There's the drawback. That's the drawback. Everything has to have balance. (laughs) All these amazing people visited them. Lord Byron. Lord Byron did too. (laughs) I'm sorry, I don't mean to trash Lord Byron, except that I do. I love him. I have feelings about him. Feelings exist. Feelings exist, and not all of them are positive. Little fun side fact, though. Mm -hmm. Uh, Eleanor and Sarah were apparently terrible at handling economics. Oh, yeah. Awful. They kept overspending on Because they wanted their gothic things. They did. Do you know what? Same. Yeah. Will? Will? As much as we want to judge them, tell me... Yeah, no, you're right. Do you want to talk about our last couple purchases? We have a skull on our table right now. We have two skulls actually on our table right now. We have plates with skulls on them. We have plates with skulls on them. Though these are very different types of gothic because gothic has changed a lot throughout history. But we have we have no place to judge absolutely anyone else on spending too much money on on gothic artifacts or little trinkets. So absolutely right. I take it back. Glass houses will glass (laughs) houses. All right, so we're going to move into our next segment, which we tentatively have a name for. We need to do a poll still, which is Wreck the Queers, where we also give recommendations. And also, if you send in hate mail or nice mail, we'll also read it if you send in nice mail. And we'll read it after that. So we're moving into the Wreck the Queers. But since none of y'all have gotten back to us on whether you like it, I know I said I'd put up a poll, so it's really my fault. But either way, we're going to do what we have been doing for the last time as punishment for no one sending in feedback. We're going to sing an intro. I'm so excited, Laura. I'm going to drag you in the song, by the way. Oh, you're going to wreck me? I'm going to wreck you. <laughs> Will was panicking before the podcast about this segment because they had not prepared, unlike me, because I'm great. And Will's excited to share this recommendation with you, even though it scares the bejesus out of them. 
They're so excited to share this, so I'll stop singing and let them share. It scares the the what out of me. But Jesus, what does that? That's that's it's a thing. Do okay. you know what? <laughs> I maintain that's a thing that people say. It, do you know what? I'll I'll Google it later for I, you. I trust it. I trust you. I trust you. Do you know what? Will says that they trust me, but I'm looking at their face right now, and it it's not a trusting face that I see. Fair enough. I'm gonna start talking about this thing then. Yeah. So Do you Laura, want me to drag you more? I can make no, another okay. song drag. It's okay. It's all good. All right. Um, I'll pass on that one. <laughs> but yeah, I uh, Laura and I have recently been watching this Netflix show called The Haunting of Hill House. You've for- probably heard of it because everyone's been talking about it. Yes. And since it's October currently. Uh, and our patrons will be hearing this in October, though the rest of you will be hearing a little later. Yes. But while we're recording this, it is October and it is spooky season. We've been watching it. And we've been watching, I have restricted it to one episode a day. Oh, you've restricted it. Will has been desperately every, at the end of every episode, I've been like, what if we watch one more? And I've been like, no, you'll spook yourself. Yes, that is correct. So Laura has restricted Laura it. Laura has restricted it, but it's a, it's a restriction because of me. Yes, yes. To one episode a day because yeah. it is a really scary show. Mm-hmm. It's the first horror show that I've watched. Yeah. And it's really interesting. And it has queer characters. Yes, it's an adaptation of The Haunting of Hill House, the book, which is had an adaptation after um, The Haunting, which is a film. There's a black and white version and there's a remake of it. This is not like the remake because the remake sucks. Um, the original one had a lot, a lot of queer coding and just actually it, it's, I haven't watched the film yet, but I'm actually sort of interested in the idea of watching it and I might do it around this spooky season and learn a little bit more about it because I know that this is like actually an interesting moment in the history of queer cinema and of queer people existing in horror films. And watching it now, we have a lovely character who is openly queer. Will, do you want to talk about them? Yes, I was going to say that while we were previously talking about two old ladies living in a big old house, the, the, the Haunting of Hill House is about a family living in a big old, old house and the events that occur, the ghosts they see, and everything that happens after as well. As for a queer character, her name is Theodora, mm-hmm. or Theo for short. She is a little bit of a mess. A lot of bit of a mess. A lot of bit, there you go. Uh, but she is very, very gay. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if she's defined. Like, if she yeah. ever says that she's gay or bisexual or she says her sexuality out loud. But at this point, we have seen her with multiple uh, partners who are also women. Yes. So, I'm going to just call her queer for the, the, the rest of the segment. And I just, I just really love her. Yeah. She's a little bit of a disaster. But she's a very good, really interesting character. She has some negative traits, she has positive traits, but so does literally every other person in this in this series as well. Yeah. And mostly, I'm not sure what else I can say. Well, okay, so it's a really, like, suspense-based show. So if any of you guys get spooked really easily, just know that it will definitely, definitely spook you. And if that's what you want, fantastic. If that's not what you want, this isn't the show for you. It's really good. We haven't finished it yet. So if something terrible happens in the last couple episodes, it's super, like, queerphobic. We are so sorry for recommending this. But so far, we're really, really enjoying it. We've got up to episode nine, and we're just really excited to finish it off because it has a lot of really great characters, a lot of really interesting dynamics between a family, which is always, always really interesting. And also there's some fun queer jokes in there, which I always, always like. Like good queer jokes, not bad queer jokes. There was a couple of good scenes that are, yeah. that was really enjoyable. Yeah. 
And it just goes really in-depth about the psychology around, like, the hauntings, Mm -hmm. which is so interesting to me. Yeah. And the queer character, incidentally, is also a... Nope. Is that a spoiler? What are you going to say? That she's a psychologist. Continue. Sorry, I thought you were going to say something else. I thought you were going to say... Oh, yeah. No, 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 no. The queer character is also, incidentally, a psychologist. So you get, through Theo's point of view, you get a lot of in-depth look into, like, the emotions and the feelings and the psyche behind the hauntings. And I think that's so fascinating. It's probably the first scary piece of media that I've seen do that really well. I'm not a fan of scary movies. I I watch them sometimes, and I've watched them a lot more recently. But Haunting of Hill House is really, really good in most of the aspects. Yeah. That it's not only suspenseful and, and terrifying, it does really well with scares and... The placement of them. Sometimes you expect there to be a scare and there's nothing. Sometimes you expect there to be a scare and there suddenly is. But it's not the kind of scare you thought there was going to be. And not only that, but it really works with uh, horror tropes. In not only the obvious ways of like looking at a haunting from different perspectives than you usually get. But also in the much more subtle ways. Like looking at the cinematography that exists in a lot of like horror movies, what I've actually noticed is the cinematography so much is that they have a lot of really interesting takes on the very common practices used in horror cinematography. Because horror cinematography can be really, really well utilized because so much about horror is building an atmosphere and cinematography plays a huge, huge part in that. And cinematography in horror movies can be used to reveal a monster or reveal something in the background or reveal that there's nothing there or like cut things so that you don't see what might be there so you can only see the person's reaction to what's there there's a lot of really interesting techniques that can be used in horror with cinematography and the haunting of hill house has really really taken advantage of that and i really really enjoyed sort of like looking at that and analyzing in my mind because one of my favorite horror movie like um i don't want to say cinematography again but like one of my favorite like tropes that they use in that is like the camera moving back and forth or like the something moving back and forth so you slowly reveal more and more and it's such a clever show and like this show uses it in such such a clever way in like playing on your expectations of like what you see when you watch a horror movie because you know in those scenes you usually see more and more and if you don't see something it's so scary because you're like is there something i'm just not seeing but it's really a lot of fun and very spooky for someone who is not spooked very easily and I think episode six yeah. had these really gorgeous long scenes Yes, that would just last for like 10 or 15 minutes at a time. Yeah, just like one take. Yeah, and it was so impressive, great acting, and just really interesting. And it took me both of us like a little time to realize, because usually you don't really think about the cutting and the close-ups and everything, but this was just one long shot that was incredibly well made, incredibly well acted, and incredibly complex. Yes. And it's just, yeah, it's just been a really, really good show to watch. Like, one episode a night. And that's not something I usually do. I usually, like, watch, like, at least, like, four or five episodes. Or, like, I finish an entire series in a day. Because, you know, some of my work allows me to, like, do two things. Most of my work allows me to do two things at once. Because I'm a really intense multitasker. And if I'm not multitasking, it makes it difficult for me to work. But um, sometimes, like, I watch the entire show in a day. But this one, I've been, like, very much savoring one episode a night. And we have accidentally, completely by accident, set it up. So since we watched one episode a night, the last episode we will watch on Halloween night. And that is pretty cool. Yeah, it was a complete accident and I'm so excited. So am I. 
So that is Haunting of Hill House. Yes. If you enjoyed the spooks and you enjoyed the queer characters, watch it. Yeah. If you don't great. enjoy the spooks, we'll have another rec for you the next month. Exactly. And I'm really excited because that is my month and I'm sure I'll have a lot of queer content to share because I consume it you do. intensely. You do. You, you're all about the queer content. Constantly. All the time. So I think that's all from us. Do you have anything else, Laura? No, I don't think I do. Again, you can check our website for all of the details on our project. You can learn about more about us. You can see old podcast episodes, new podcast episodes, and yeah, just articles and all the links to our different social medias at www.makingqueerhistory.com. You can also find us on Patreon where you can support our project, which we really, really appreciate. Um, at www.patreon.com slash queerhistory. We have some amazing patrons there, and we also have some really cool behind-the-scenes stuff if you're interested in some extra content. That's, I believe, all from us this time, and we're excited to keep doing what we're doing. Yes, thank you for all for listening, and remember, history is queer than you think. We have always existed, and we are still here. Stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you think. Yes, we will continue. Yes, we will improve. Making Step we're taking is history in the making. We hold our own future, we learn from the past. They've tried to remove our legacy, but we are built to last. So listen to the stories. Cause they'll help us grow From Sappho to Frida Kahlo There's always more to know History is queerer than you think Yes, we will continue Yes, we will improve Making history is just what we do Yes, we will keep growing Step we're taking is history in the making. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, we have been and will always be absolutely revolutionary. Every single day we live, we are part of the legacy.
every step we are taking.